I will say, though, this will be odd for me because this is, A, the first time I'm doing something like this without cans, and B, yeah. as the guest. You've never been a guest before? I've never been. I haven't been a guest in... Maybe I've been a guest years ago, but not for... No, not for a podcast. Wow. I've never been a podcast guest. All right, then. I've always been inviting people on to podcasts or internet radio shows that I do. This is kind of nice, then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it is nice. Uh, okay, I was on The Edge. Yeah. Uh, like... Maybe a year or two ago with Gavin. Yeah. Um, for on Fearless Fred's show. He's a super nerd. Oh, Fred? Oh yeah. my God! Yeah. yeah, super nerd. Yeah. And uh, I know Fred. He's a good guy. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah, really good. Beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth, girth. Introduce yourselves to the nice people at home. All right. Hello, my name is Andrew Young. I am the host and producer of Geek Hard which is a weekly live streaming internet radio show on realityradio101.com at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. It's also available as a podcast on geekartshow.com and on iTunes, where we talk about geek stuff and we interview people who are geeky. All right. First question off the bat, an easy one. What's the difference between a geek and a nerd? Why do you guys go with geek instead of nerd? Really, I went with geek hard because it just sounded better. Like, that's really what it comes down to. The geek, nerd, they've all kind of become, you know, intermingled labels now. Now, of course, the original idea is that nerd had to do with intellect, whereas geek was supposed to be about, like, hardcore fandom, right? And lack of social skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these, yeah, both <laughs> both had the connection of lack of social skills. But, like, these days, it's like, you can be a nerd, you can be a geek, you can be a nerd about something and a geek about something. I guess nerd is supposed to be, like, your knowledge of something, mm-hmm. whereas geek is your passion for something. So All you right. can be both a nerd and a geek, in my opinion. All right. That's kind of nice. You're yeah. very inclusive. You're I like, am. I am. You're like a nerdy MLK. Yes. Bringing all the, the nerds ex- and the geeks together. That's exactly it. That's yeah. yes. We're going to have a big uh, big rally. It's going to be fantastic. Charles Xavier, but with like legs and walking. Yeah, and I still have my hair, thank God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See? We're, we're off to a good start already. Yes, yes. When did you start Geek Hard? Okay, well, Geek Hard started in 2010. But uh, what happened was in 2009, yeah. uh, I was unemployed. I had lost my apartment. I had lost my fiance. Well, this is a dark period. Yeah, it started, it's a very dark period. This is Frank Miller dark yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I <laughs> lost like... my fiance. I had lost my job, all that sort of stuff. And so, like, I had spent, before I'd lost the apartment, I'd spent maybe about six months in Toronto just every weekend going to the movies, hanging mm-hmm. out in comic shops, just trying to avoid the fact that my life was falling apart by yeah. just diving into this sort of stuff. I eventually had to move back home with the folks. And during that time, I found out that in my area, there was a guy who had started up an internet radio station and he was looking for what I thought was guests to come on a show. Mm-hmm. And so I contacted him and he was like, oh, no, no, I'm not looking for guests. I'm looking for people to pitch a show. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, any type of show that you think would be good on the station. And so I said, okay, I'll get back to you. And then about a month went by, I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, we could do like a geek entertainment radio sort of thing. Like I was a big fan of Attack of the Show at the time. And, you know, there was stuff like Dignation and things like that. And I was like, oh, we could do something like that, you know, where it's kind of like we talk about geek news and we interview people and stuff. And uh, so I approached the station with that and they thought I had given up because it'd take me a month. <laughs> And uh, they you're were, working through depression. You don't have yeah, time. Yeah, for exactly, life. exactly. And so they were like, uh, "Yeah, no, okay, that sounds like a really cool show. We don't have any entertainment information."
animation shows because they were just looking at it as like, oh, you're going to talk about movies. Yeah. So not necessarily looking at the geek stuff at first, but they were cool with it. And so then uh, I contacted a few people I knew who had done podcasts or, you know, who I knew were funny. And originally the idea was it was going to be me in a rotating cast of co-hosts. Like, they were, like, one a month. Like, so each each week, there'd be a different guy for four weeks. But the first guy I wanted said no. And then the second guy was, like, really hardcore into it. Uh, his name's James Green, Mr. Green, who is now the co-host of Geek Hard. And I was like, well, the first guy said no, and this guy really, really is into doing it. So he's, he seems passionate about it. So I scrapped the idea of... Of having a rotating, yes. And it's good because the fourth guy I had picked on the list, we had ended up having him as a guest at one point, and he wasn't that good. Oh, that's So, yeah, so it's kind of good that I didn't go with that original plan. Yeah. 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 So what was then, let's go even back further then, what was the kind of like the spark or what got you into all this like nerdery? What was it, a comic book? Was it an action figure? Um, well, I guess because well, you have to think about it. Like we grew up in the 80s, right? Golden era. Exactly. It's the golden era of everything nerdy because you had all the great cards because deregulation happened. So <laughs> you could start, so cartoons could start selling shit to kids. Yeah. And so suddenly we got all these really cool things like G.I. Joe and Transformers and stuff like that. And that kind of, I think it was the T, the cartoons that got me into it first and then when I'm finding out that they had comic books like there was G.I. Joe comic books through Marvel and then that kind of led to me checking out the DC and Marvel characters and uh, yeah by the late 80s I was probably hooked into all that kind of stuff Thundercats Thundercats was okay. I was never a huge Thundercats or He-Man guy. I have friends who are hardcore Thundercats yeah, and He-Man fans. I have a He-Man fans. friend in my life, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't think I... I don't know. He-Man fans have an extra level of passion that I don't think I can reach. <laughs> it's that by the power of Grace. That's right, exactly. So Yeah, and so it was kind of G.I. Joe... G.I. Uh, Joe was the main thing. G.I. Joe was probably the gateway drug yeah. to geekdom for me. Yes, because I, I love the cartoon. I love Shipwreck. I love Alpine. Shipwreck is tight. Shipwreck was great. And it's like years later, I find out. I was like, oh, okay, so the entire character of Shipwreck on G.I. Joe was basically based off of Jack Nicholson's performance in The Last Detail. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> well, because by that point, they're just like, because there was, I don't know how many Joes, so they're just cranking them out at that point. Yeah, so they're like, let's make this guy Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And so then he ended up being like, out of, I think out of all the characters, I think he had the most focus in the first season. Like, because there was 75 episodes in the first season, and yeah. I think he was, like, the star of 40 of them. So... <laughs> well, because Snowjob's not going to hold down the floor. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. And Snake Eyes can't talk, so... Yeah. Whereas but, Snake Eyes was the star of the comic book. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I guess the, the TV guys just couldn't wrap their head around, okay, he doesn't talk. I think they put him in, like, seven episodes total. Yeah. But, yeah, it was just always just for, like, a little bit of, like, swordplay and ninja... And then yeah. it's like, well, then now we've used them. Now it's we'll... like Storm Shadow just got Excalibur. I guess yeah. we'll have Snake Eyes fight him. You know, it's like... <laughs> and yet that idea is amazing. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 totally. Whereas in the comments, like, uh, like last year, actually, no, it was two years ago now, I got to talk with Larry Hama. And his, still his, like, the crown jewel of his G.I. Joe run, in his opinion, yeah. is issue 21, The Silent Store. Oh, which yeah. is basically where, you know, there's no text, there's no dialogue, it's just pictures. Mm-hmm. It's the entire thing is told visually. And he drew it, and uh, he, you know, so basically he wrote and drew it at the same time. And, like, that's considered the quintessential G.I. Joe. That's the holy grail of G.I. Joe comics. Yeah. And, yeah, there's not a word. Everybody's snake eyes in that issue, because nobody talks. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
So it makes sense that Snake Eyes is the star of the issues. Yeah. So. yeah. When you talk to people like that, we're kind of going full circle back to Geek Hard now. When you talk to people like that, are you do you find that they're kind of aware of their legacy? Because, like, Larry's just doing this G.I. Joe thing and it's in the corner and obviously it blew up huge. Yeah. Right? And he made a ton of money. T- and the Ninja Turtles are the same thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. Like, we're just going to throw this thing away and then whatever happens, happens. And it's like... Yeah, I know. Up. Like, Eastman and Laird, they yeah. probably had no idea. They just wanted to do a tribute to Daredevil using Turtles. And right. <laughs> oh, okay, well, fine. We'll be millionaires then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. It's like some of these guys... Well, like, a lot of these guys, they scoff when you call them a legend and stuff like that, but they know their contributions. Like, well, I've talked to Larry Hamm, I've talked to Chris Claremont, and, like, those guys know... Yeah. yeah, they've got a certain level of status, you know, and with that comes, you know, perks and, of course, some criticism and things like that. But, yeah, no, like, I think for the most part, comic creators are down to earth, even though they have, you know, some of them have legendary careers. For the most part. Again, like, I haven't talked to, like, certain guys like Rob Liefeld or anything like that. Those guys probably love themselves. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> Every story you hear about that guy is just more crazy than the last exactly, one. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I haven't, I didn't get a chance to talk to that guy when he was in Toronto, no. Yeah, he was just here for the Fan Expo about a month ago. Yeah, yeah, at the Toronto Comic Con. He was the big star comic creator, and I was like, I got no interest in him. Jim Shooter's here. I'm going to talk to Jim Shooter. Yeah. So. How was Jim? Jim was awesome. Yeah, we're going to be putting up the interview of that. We did a video interview. We're going to put that up in like a month on our YouTube channel and our website. He's fantastic. And like I asked him questions about like uh, when he was editing about the Dark Phoenix saga and stuff like that. And he wanted to put some rumors to rest. So, yeah, no, he was great. He was great to talk to. And it's funny because just a little while ago, I was reading Secret Wars again. Yeah. (laughs) It's like 2015, 2016, and we're still reading Secret Wars. Well, look, even Marvel is obsessed with Secret Wars still. Just last year, they did another one, right? right? And that's the thing. It just keeps coming. Like they're doing Civil War again. Like Civil War again. They did Contest of Champions again recently. It's sort of like I feel the problem with comics right now is that they rely too much on event books. Like the big two. Like I mean, Marvel and DC. They basically set everything up for the next event book. It's like originally it was like a yearly thing. Now at Marvel, it's a quarterly thing. It's like yeah. every three months they got a new big event. And uh, yeah, I think that's really that's hurting the industry. Like it's good that there's places like Image where it's people are just telling really good stories. Yeah. You know, like uh, we've talked about it before, like the fade out was fantastic. Yeah, at yeah. Baker. That was we actually should go back and listen to that podcast because you and I and Gavin Stevens, your co-host. Yeah. We all had kind of little bets on who was the killer. That's right. Yeah, on the uh, the podcast Back Issue Bloodbath, which is available through geekartshow.com as well. Yeah, your one I remember being very like I was like <laughs> Really? Because you were guessing that it was one guy's wife. It was like, she's just like a secondary character. And That's I was like, the thing that was really funny is that it ended up being the most obvious choice. Yeah. But it still was a great story. Right. Because it was trying to be a tribute to the old, you know, noir type tales like that. But like, some of the theories we came up with were really out there. Yeah. <laughs> I stand by everything I said. Yeah. <laughs> To the end. To the end, yeah. Yeah, let the records show. Let the podcast show. I stand by it. Okay, all right, man. That's cool. So, yeah, we should get Baker in one time and then just lie. Yeah, the key is to get him when he's drinking because that's the only time I've gotten an interview with him is it was at the Toronto Comic Arts Festival he was a guest he had just finished a panel at a bar he had had a few yeah. I grabbed him like hey you want to do a video interview and he doesn't like doing video interviews anymore ever since he got his teeth fixed Yeah, because he feels that he looks kind of different <laughs> and I was like okay
okay, but he was drunk enough that yeah. he was willing to do it. The system works. Yeah, he was great too because we were we had to do the interview on the stairs of the place, mm-hmm. and so every, there was people passing to go up to the patio, and so he'd always grab the people and ask them, "What's your favorite song from the '70s?" and stuff like that, <laughs> and like pass mm-hmm. the mic to them. It was very yeah. funny. That's cool. But I mean, we're in a bar here in the Pacific Junction Hotel bar, so we should. So like... We just got to invite Ed Brubaker here That's when he's it. in Toronto. Yeah. yeah, since he's your buddy now. Oh. <laughs> well. I don't know about that. Like, I don't, it's not like he gave me his contact info. It was yeah. like, hey, dude, who hijacked me in a bar? <laughs> Here's all my contact info. <laughs> What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I guess as part of, as Geek Hard was kind of happening, you also kind of branched out into, like, filmmaking, stand-up comedy. Yeah, well, that's something, actually, I did stand-up comedy all the way back, I think I started in 1999. That's the first time I did stand-up, and originally when I started, I was an impressionist. I did a lot of impressions, celebrity impressions, and that kind of, over the two years, kind of phased out of my act, because I found out that comedians hate impressionists, mm-hmm. so... <laughs> For the most part, they yeah. do not like impressionists. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I switched up my act. And for a number of years, I was doing stand-up with a bit of a geeky vibe. Like, I had a number of jokes that worked in, like, my interests, of course. And uh, during that time, I then started making short films with my company, Social Retired Productions, which is now SRP Films, because enough people complained. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, and so it's like, it, the short films, I got a couple of films shown nationally on television and the stand-up opened up a few doors. I got to work with different people. I got to work with Ed the Sock and things like that. So I worked with Ed the Sock, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I helped put out a comic book for him. Oh, you were one of the people involved in the comic, yeah? Yeah. With uh, Hochi Anderson did the cover and a whole bunch of other people were inside. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. And I got to be on the show, too. Oh, that's cool, Yeah, man. I was a roaming reporter. Well, that's that's good. Yeah, yeah. I uh, which guy? I got involved with them after the original show finished when they went to CHCH and did this movie sucks. Oh Which yeah. was basically the an Ed Sock version of um, Mystery Science Three Thousand. Yeah. And so we just took really shitty movies. I was one of the writers on the show, but they just kept working me into episodes where it's like they just do s- stupid things to me. They're like, oh, there's an episode this week where there's a guy with a hump on his back, so we want you to walk around in the background with a hump on your back and things like that. <laughs> or we want you. To, we, You're the hump guy. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, no, it was uh, it was it was a weird experience. It was eleven months where we we shot twelve episodes throughout you know various weekends and things like that, and uh, it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of work, yeah. and it was very weird. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's um I don't even know what the word is. Low rent or low quality kind of like just the way that they shoot it too. It was very homegrown. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a run and gun. Yeah. In fact, like I remember, there was one point where we were like, okay, we want to do something where Ed is racing, you know, in a car. So we just, it was just myself and Steve Kersner and Ron Sparks went out on the street with a camera, and we had Ed in this remote control car, and we drove him all through the streets of Hamilton. He almost got hit by big cars. It was fun. It was <laughs> yeah. fun. Can't lose the sock, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the moneymaker. <laughs> That's our Canadian celebrity right after George. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Do you like kind of moving between these worlds, like making some films, doing some writing for TV, kind of being the hump guy? I, I, don't, I don't ever want to be the hump guy again, but uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun doing different projects like that. And although there are times I sit there going, man, if I just did one thing, it'd be so much easier, you know, but... Isn't uh, that the thing? Like, you get known for your one thing, right? Like, if you branch out, you establish... Not these days, though. These days, you have to do, like, five or six things to break through. There's, like, I know a number of guys who are like that, or just sort of like, okay, well, I have an opportunity to do this, I'm going to do it. And it's sort of like, that's the other thing as well. It's like, if you're given an opportunity to do something, you might as well do it because 
If you don't, you're just going to be like, oh, man, I could have done this. Like, I look back at things when in my 20s that I had opportunities to be involved in certain projects, sketch groups, things like that. And I just, you know, I walked away from them. And now I look back and I go, oh, those people did really well. I should have stayed involved with yeah. that. <laughs> so now it's like I don't really say no to anything. Yeah. Unless, unless I get a really weird vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, like possibly like a podcast in a hotel restaurant, you know, something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I could see where that could- I could see how that would be awkward, yeah. I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah. This is great. I've, I wish I have a free beverage. Being treated like a king today. It's great. Oh, look at that. I'm not going to rub your feet, though. I know. We you gotta... should have waited until after the podcast to tell me that. See, this is why... Now I'm... I'm a hostile guest. Yeah, see, this is what I'm learning <laughs> now. It's just going to be all, like, tension. <laughs> Tension's good, though, right? Tension, yes, yes. What have you learned then as you've kind of been doing the podcast and kind of doing the interviews and stuff? Well, the thing that's really cool is that, like, if it was just a podcast, like, that would be cool in itself, but we do it as a live streaming radio show, so, you know, there's no editing, there's people who can call in at any time, like, we have numbers where people can call, we've, we've dealt with it. It's, it's always fun to deal with things on the fly, and I think I've learned very well how to deal with changing variables, because there's no chance to stop Sort yeah. of thing is like once we start, we're on until the end of the hour. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's been a number of times like mics have died, we've lost guests on the phone, yeah, drunk people have called in, different things like that. And I've had to learn how to handle all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I think for me, I've really learned how to keep a show going, like keep the momentum of something and try to keep interest. I've learned how to gauge that from you know dealing with guests and things like that so how do you balance between like all the reading and stuff that you have to do quote unquote you have to do for this yeah versus just like regular fun reading it's almost like going back to school right pretty much yeah like there's there are times that uh, we have guests that are booked that are authors and they the publishing company will send us the book and i know my co-host won't be able to get through all of it in time so i'll opt to do the book he'll eventually read it but you know it'll only be you know it'll probably usually be after we do the interview oh that's what he's talking about (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i hate it when it's like a really really big book and we've got like it's yeah we the guest is on in two weeks i'm like oh okay so i can't do i can't read anything else but this yeah three thousand page book <laughs> until then. but uh you know like there's been there's been cool times where i've been sent like comics that haven't come out yet or things like that and it's like that's always neat to me it's always great to, it's like oh i'm like i'm on the inside track yeah so do you want me to tell you who the spoilers yeah 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 I know. So. It's also, it's cool because when you are on the inside track, but it's also kind of hard too. Like when you see a movie in advance or like read a comic book that hasn't come out to the public yet, because you're like, you want to talk about it. Right. Yeah. No, like case in point, we had last week, we had uh, Kyle Stevens of Kirby Crackle, which I don't know if you've heard of Kirby Crackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, you know, they're a huge nerd band from Seattle. We've interviewed Kyle a few times. He's come down to Toronto and done a bunch of phone interviews with him and stuff like that. And so like, we've got a pretty good relationship with last summer. He was here for Fan Expo as part of, uh, uh, Sean Hatton's Nerd Noise Night that he does. He said to us, he's like, hey, I got a thing coming up. Keep it under your hats. Right now we're calling it Project Burrito. We're going to be having a few songs played on uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. He's like, but keep that under your hat. And I'm like, okay. And I thought it was only going to be a couple of months until it happened. But it ended up not being until like a few weeks ago this year. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I couldn't say anything about this. And then finally when her job's like, oh, thank God, finally. Yeah, no. The weight has been lifted. Eight yeah. months of me sitting around going i can't say what project burrito is <laughs> not to, we should not get like a couple of drinks in you in the bar then and then yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. let me tell you about project burrito yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Is there anything that you kind of like, you talk about like being in the know, getting to hang out with these cool creators and stuff like that. Is there any part of this industry or kind of aspect of this, of being a running geek card that you kind of don't like or? Um, you even talk about like the drunk people calling in and like. Well, the drunk people, actually, the, the drunk people haven't been that bad. It's not like we got a huge amount of them. The funny thing is like, I wish more people would call in. I, because the way we do our show. I think there's a lot of people who listen to live stream and either A, think it's a pre-recorded podcast yeah. that they're just listening to live or like they're just listening to streaming or, you know, they don't want to interrupt our flow because we're not talk radio, so to speak. We're right. more like we do reviews, we do interviews and things like that. We don't do like, a, yeah, this is our topic for the the week, call in and stuff like that. So whereas there's other shows on Reality Radio 101 that are like that. Yeah, I like I wish there was more fan interaction. Like, I know that people are listening. Like, I see the numbers and like people have come up to me at different events and say, hey, I listen to the show or I listen to the podcast. And it's great. But I wish there was the thing that bothers me is that sometimes it feels like you're just throwing something out into the abyss. For me, that's really hard because, you know, as we mentioned, I did stand-up for years, and you get instant, you know what works and what doesn't automatically Yeah. with that. Whereas that joke and go home. Exactly, whereas with this, it took probably a couple of years to find the proper flow just based on finally seeing, okay, wow, we're getting more numbers now. We should keep this kind of flow to it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that's, for me, it's probably more the uh, the learning curve. It was probably the worst part of Geek Art. Do you find the, because we talked about the stereotypes and stuff, do you find that the online nerd community is cynical? Does that stereotype hold up or do you find, is it even a bad word or? I think that the online community, there's a portion of fandom that is overly cynical, that is just looking there. Like there are trolls within the group, you know, and stuff like that. But I think there's also, like, a bit of healthy cynicism there, too. Like, there's a group of people that are just kind of like, well, we don't want to just get force-fed, whatever. Like, right now, because geek stuff is, for the past five years, has been what's selling, right? Yeah. So it's huge. So now, like, of course, all the corporate people are involved and all the major studios. So there should be a little bit of cynicism from fandom because you don't want to just go with whatever they tell you is cool. But, uh, but yeah, then there is there is that section that just wants to pick a fight with anybody. Like, if you look at different things like Gamergate from last year, well, it's still basically ongoing, ongoing and things like yeah. that. Yeah, that's just people being, you know, like, dicks. negative dicks. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, unfortunately, that's still a portion of fandom. There are the negative dicks out there. Yeah. It's also, too, you see with almost every casting for any movie. Right, now. yeah, everybody's somebody's saying oh that sucks yeah. oh my god like well for me the one that really surprised me was last year when they announced that John Bernthal was going to be the Punisher yeah for me I remember waiting that day because it was a terrible day that I had and then that information showed up on my computer screen and it was like the heavens opened up yeah I was like oh my god I never thought of this before John Bernthal is the Punisher that's perfect yeah and then I see all these comments where people are like no this is terrible and I'm like what are you crazy yeah. I'm thinking like that guy's the Punisher that, you know it was a good choice, yeah. And he ended up being a fantastic choice. He was a great choice. I think the only, you know, I think the only casting that has never been really been disputed was uh, Olivia in uh, the new X-Men movie. Olivia Munn yeah. as uh, Psylocke. Psylocke. It's like, yeah, no, well, when you see that one shot when she's jumping down, it's like, yeah, that's Psylocke. Yeah, that's Psylocke. and then she just runs around in a purple bathing suit. Like, yeah, okay, well. Yeah. Well, that's basically what Psylocke was, just the purple bathing suit. Yeah. So. <laughs> With a nice little, like, psychic knife. And yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And everyone's like, and a okay. big katana blade. And yeah. yeah, it's like, there we go. It's so, like, everyone's like, yeah, that works. <laughs> so, yeah. It's good to see that Olivia Munn is, you know, getting out there. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. And representing the nerds. Yeah, her. that's right. That's right. Because she kind of stepped away from it for a bit. It's like, when she left Attack of the Show, she was trying to be like, it felt like she was disassociating herself from the nerd stuff. The shame? I wouldn't say it was shame. It was more like, more of a fear of being typecast. Yeah. It's like, oh, she was the, the host of, the, of a nerdy show. Let's put her in nerdy stuff. And she's like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do shitty films with Sarah Jessica Parker and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so she did that, but now she's come back to the nerd camp. Yeah. It's good. You know, it's like... I think, too, that's the... I think for all the actors now, they just see how much money and all this kind of... Like you said, everything's exploded in the last life. Basically since Iron Man. Yeah. Right? Iron Man more or less was like the tipping point and everything just kind of busted That's open. right. Well, that yeah, that's summer because you had Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, and Dark Knight yeah. all in the same summer. And right. that was like, of course, Iron Man and Dark Knight were huge. Yeah. But Iron Man 2, was, it was a little bit out of left field, right? Cause Robert... yeah, no, yeah, nobody expected Iron Man to happen. Also because it was Marvel's first chance where they got to do it their way. Right. Thing. And people had kind of been soured to the Marvel movies because of like what Sony did with Spider-Man 3 and, you know, so- Fox Fantasy. Fantastic Four 2 had just come out, and then X-Men 3. All those films were just atrocious. They were terrible. And so when Iron Man came out, it was like, it was a breath of fresh air. It was refreshment. It was like, oh, yeah, right. This is a superhero story. Right. And it was also good, too, because it's like a lot of like civilians in my life, they're attending to me, and like, what, which one's Iron Man again? What did he do? Like, <laughs> yeah. nobody, you know what I mean? Well, because that's, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, before that film, Iron Man was like a, I'd say, probably a third-tier character. It's like the Don't only... Don't say that to his face, though. Yeah. The only reason <laughs> why people knew him in fandom was really because he was part of the quote-unquote big three of the Avengers. Right. Because the Avengers, they always, because the big three, of course, in DC is, you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. The Trinity. Yeah, the Trinity, as they say. And so creators had always taken care at Marvel of saying, well, Cap, Thor, and Iron Man are our Trinity mm-hmm. of the Avengers. And, like, for the most part, people cared about... That was the only reason why people cared about him. And if you look back at the 90s, the stupidest things they did with Iron Man, they had him turn evil. Yeah. And then they... <laughs> so then the Avengers went back in time and got a 17-year-old Tony Stark to yeah. defeat him. <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. that was terrible stuff. And so there was a long period where nobody wanted to even touch Iron Man. There was one storyline, when I don't remember when this one was, but it was one where he wanted to go back to being Tony Stark, like have his secret identity, and he used satellites to like wipe out the Earth, basically, or like to wipe out the memory of the Earth. Yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah, that was like a, that was like a, an annual. Yeah. yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> He's like, there you go, I flipped my satellites. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did all the satellites, and then he went to the Avengers and was like, I have to tell you guys something. I'm... Tony Stark and they were like oh my god and then Cap was like wait a second we knew this before (laughs) what did you do (laughs) but it's funny because right now in the comics they haven't revealed it yet but Daredevil has Mm -hmm. done something to uh, put his identity back in the bottle Uh, Charles Soule hasn't really the issue hasn't come out yet where Charles Soule explains that but right now he's done something so that nobody remembers that he's Matt Murdock which is a shame in a way because it kind of follows run by Brubaker and Bendis. Right. Right? Where yeah. he got revealed. and Right, yeah, but then after Brubaker, there was the Andy Diggle run. Yeah, no, which I was just, yeah, you were You were smart to do that. That yeah. was the worst. The Shadowland. Oh, my God, Shadowland. It just it hurts me to yeah. think about it. And then even the reveal, too, like, I'm a demon. And it's like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. It's like, oh, you've been possessed by the hand's favorite demon. Yeah. Good, good for you. Yeah. And scene. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So what are you reading these days, or what's getting you excited? Um, okay, well, 
from like the the Marvel DC stuff, I'd say the new Black Widow series that Mark Wade is writing. I haven't had that. Oh thing. yeah, it's only come out, only the second issue came out this week. I haven't read it, but the first issue alone mm-hmm. was amazing because it's just basically like the Black Widow and she's running through a Shield base and everybody's chasing her and like basically she's stolen something from Shield. Yeah. And Chris Samney is the uh, the artist for it. He's great. Yeah, he's fantastic because he did Daredevil with Wade and everything like that. So he's running towards the she's running towards the window of this base right and you see her smash out of the window and it's like every panel is like pulling back and then you find out she's jumping out of the freaking helicarrier oh yeah and so then the entire rest of the thing is shield agents yeah you know in the air on the ground trying to take her out and one guy says it it's like oh my god she's freaking like it's like she's doing ballet and it's like it's amazing she's like she finds a way to take out every guy that's attacking her and the end of the issue is the end of the chase i'm like oh my god i just read a 22 page chase scene i yeah. need to sit down i'm tired <laughs> yeah. oh my god you should have worn your fitbit before yeah though. pretty much it was fantastic it was a thrill ride so i'm really looking forward to issue two on that and then when it, you go over to image right now it's just fantastic like there's deadly class from rick remender yeah i want to start that one that is a good book yeah. you're basically a kid a street kid in san francisco in the 80s mm-hmm. finds his way into basically a secret school of assassins yeah what's gone on so far has been pretty exciting but right now the current story arc is like shit has just got real yeah. like it's really really good stuff another great one uh, Lazarus written yeah, by Greg Rucka with yeah. uh, art by Michael Lark yeah that one takes place in the future you know there's like basically the wealthiest families in the world run everything it's no longer countries or anything anymore and the sad part is every issue you read and then you read the back pages where Greg Rucka's talking about stuff that he's read in the news it's so scary mm. how we're not that far away from what's happening in Lazarus <laughs> I know. But it, it's great. And it's classic Rucka, too. Like, lots yeah. of action. And, like, it's kind of a mystery, too. So you don't really know who's, what side people are on. Right, right, right. Yeah. And Rucka is, like, he loves his research. Yeah. He's a research hound. We've actually gotten a chance to interview him a bunch of times. And I asked him about the amount of research for Lazarus. And he's like, it doesn't stop. It's like every day I have to read stuff about technology or about the economy. Or, like, you know, because he covers everything, yeah. right? So Good for him. It's a great book, though. Oh, it's a fantastic book. And in terms of, like, do you get exhausted trying to cover all this stuff? Or are you trying to... Sim- like, because you're covering, like, comic books, and then there's all the movies coming out, and then there's the cartoons on top of it. And oh, then, yeah. then there's video games on top of it. And right. then, and then, and then... Yeah. The Lego stuff. And- yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like, some weeks I can just barely get the stuff I need to get out. Like, on our site, we have weekly columns, like, stuff that comes out every week. We have our show. We try to get video stuff out on a semi-regular basis. Of course, I also have the Back Issue Bloodbath podcast, which, uh, you know, we do once a month, and we record once a month. Yeah, the thing that's really upsetting for me is that I get, like, really cool indie stuff sent to me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, can you talk about this comic? Can you talk about my album? Like, there's a lot of indie geek artists. Because I used to do this thing where I was called, and we still kind of do it on a regular basis, semi-regular basis on the show the geek hard music club whereas if you're an indie geek musician send us a song we'll play it on the air and we'll talk about it these days it's like i get so much stuff that i'm just sort of like i don't know if i can use it all sort of thing i feel bad because it's like some of these guys are really good it's just i can't get to the stuff it's like i have a, a chair in my house that I haven't used for the longest time because that's the <laughs> inbox. Yeah. It's just a stack of comics and DVDs yeah. and different things like that. It's sort of like, oh my God. And that's the physical stuff. Mm. All the stuff online I know. that I get sent links to. It's like, oh my God. 
at least the online stuff, you could just like turn the computer off or you can walk away, right? Right, right, you, right. You put the laptop screen down and then like I'm out. Yeah, pretty so. much. Yeah. So, but at the same time though, it's awesome to to have so much cool stuff being sent your way on a regular basis. Yeah. And because, you know, I'm my own boss with this, I get to choose what I talk about and what I don't. So if I don't like something, I don't have to talk about it. Is but then sometimes I do because I had to talk about freaking Batman v Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Explain for people who don't know your feelings on Batman. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Batman, I think Before is... Before we get into the film. We'll get into the film too. Batman, I think, is the, the biggest bitch in comics. Because, <laughs> like, I look at... Okay, yeah, his parents died. So did, like, almost every other superhero's parents, yeah. you know? It's like you look at Spider-Man. He had a tough life. And he's still able to at least crack wise when he's in the suit, right? Yeah. Um, but what really bothers me about Batman is Batman is that guy, like, you know, you think back to college or high school, Batman's that guy at the party who'd be like sitting in the corner with like sketch pad drawing <laughs> and, a, and he'd look, look all upset and brooding yeah. and a girl, a hot girl would walk up to him and go, what are you drawing? He's like, it's shit. Don't even look at it. It's terrible. It's <laughs> like, and then like other girls are going like, what's he, what's he doing? And so all these girls would be attracted to this basically asshole who's got nothing on his plate, but he looks like he's got something cause he's like, oh no, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> and then on top of that, the ego of the guy. Yeah. Bat this, bat that. Yeah. And like, I hate the bullshit about the whole, well, the Bruce Wayne is the secret identity. It's like, screw you, man. <laughs> like, you know, I don't need to hear that. It's like, the thing that's really annoying is that you know that as his Bruce Wayne persona, he has had sex with half the women in the world and probably has gonorrhea or something like that. But in his mind, it's like, well, that Batman does it. That's Bruce Wayne's <laughs> life. <laughs> so Batman's Wang is Batman's okay. virtuous Wang. Yeah. <laughs> but Bruce Wayne has got... Bruce Wayne has syphilis. That's yeah. basically it. I hate Batman. Man. Okay. Oddly enough, I like Gotham City, and I like a lot of the characters in Gotham City, which makes it very hard because I can't really read about them very often because I have to read Batman then. But you got Gotham Central. Gotham Central was great. I yeah. got to read that, and Batman would only make cameos. It was yeah. fantastic. Let's switch gears then and keep going with Batman and go to Batman vs. Superman since you brought it up. Right, and yeah. And this just got savagely like... Oh, well, it's... A t okay, well, here's the thing, okay. Going back to, I guess it was 2012 when Man of Steel came out? I think mm -hmm. it was 2012, something like that. Maybe 2013. I can't sure. remember exactly what year. We're losing all kinds of time yeah. and... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brain. I just yeah, but uh, yeah, that film was just that was like it had a beginning, middle, and end, but there was no hope to it. Like the character, like Superman, who's supposed to be the beacon of hope, and he talks about it in the film in Man of Steel. The whole symbol thing. Yeah, the symbol of hope and all that stuff. He's just an asshole for like yeah. pretty much the entire film, and then at the end he decides, hey, yeah, let's keep this fight in the city and knock down all the buildings. And people say, well, he didn't have a choice. It's like, okay, but he knocks down some of those buildings himself. It's yeah. like, I'm going to throw this on Zod, yeah. killing hundreds of thousands of people in the process. Yeah. And I remember at the time people were saying, oh, well, those, which God, there, was, there wasn't as many people as you think and everything like that. Batman v Superman is based on the fact that half of Metropolis yeah. got killed in that yeah. fight. Yeah. Because the, the opening sequences, like I think the second or third scene, is basically Bruce Wayne going, oh shit, yeah. my building's falling down and all of my people are dying. Yeah. And uh, I have syphilis, according to you. Uh, yes, well, he does. <laughs> so, it's like, Batfleck has syphilis. Yeah. Film at 11. Yeah. But, I hope film not at 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so Batman v Superman, it's a bunch of stuff. 
It's a bunch of scenes. Yeah. No real story. I have a feeling that Zack Snyder went back and looked at his script for Sucker Punch mm -hmm. and realized, oh, I had all these great ideas for dream sequences that I didn't get to use, so I'm just going to cross out the name Baby Doll <laughs> and put Batman yeah. there. Because Batman's having a dream like every five minutes in this film. Yeah. And the worst dream of all has to be when he's suddenly in, like, the desert in the 1930s in his Batman uniform, but yeah. then with a big, like, trench coat yeah. over top, and he's got a crew of, like, mercenary soldiers, and then suddenly one of them turns on him, yeah. and then suddenly there's all these Superman soldiers and parademons, yeah. parademons from, you know, the New Apocalypse. Gods and everything, yeah, that whole, from, you know, Dark yeah. Side and all that, and they're all just fighting Batman and killing Batman's crew of guys who we don't even know who the hell they are, Yeah. and then he wakes up, or you think he wakes up, and then suddenly the Flash is there, yeah. going on about Lois Lane is the key, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Well, and then the thing is, where Marvel has been successful is that they've been able to get the non-nerds into the cinema. Right? right. And so they're invested now in this whole storyline and where yeah. this is all going, and they like this world. Whereas that sequence, for example, that just completely alienated, like, anyone... Like, at least you and I had the cues, right? When we yeah, saw yeah. the dark side symbol. Yeah, because otherwise people would be like, what are those flying... Like, are those the flying monkeys from Wizard of Oz? What's going on, <laughs> you know? Right? And none of it made sense. It was yeah. like, so there was, like, a ten-minute sequence in the middle that just had, like... And then it jumps to another, like, the next scene mm -hmm. is basically a tribute to a comic from the mid-80s that even, you know, some DC fans of today don't even remember, you yeah. know, of the freaking Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. So it's sort of like it's all just kind of wedged in there and nobody has any personality. And Lex Luthor is like a parody of, like, I felt like Woody Allen meets the Joker. That's kind of what... Yeah, that's what, like, yeah, that's what Lex Luthor felt like. Yeah, so. I'll give it to you. Yeah, it was all over. Like you said, it was just like all over the place, like a baby eating spaghetti. Yeah, um, yeah, it was just it was a mess. And like, well, if you look at the second weekend of the film, like it's very obvious that people feel that same way because it had the largest drop off in years for a, a superhero film, and I think even like a major blockbuster. Yeah. So it's just also a struggle too because it's like they're trying to set up the whole Justice League with it. Yeah. And so I'm like. I'm now slightly less interested in like I'm not really feeling it like you guys gotta get this right yeah People, totally yeah figure this out like, yeah and Justice League is supposed to be next up right and that's the thing I think they felt like they were almost like rushing a little bit like they just wanted to cram in so much cause like Marvel had all these movies by now right yeah so whatever it is, I think they're up to 15, 20 odd movies, right? And it's all plotted out and have had this great storyline. So we're like, oh, no problem. We can catch up. We'll just do a two hour and a half movie and everybody will be caught up. Yeah, right. We'll just give them everything in one yeah. film. What about like a through line plot? We don't need that. Just yeah. introduce as many characters as you can. Go. Yeah. And there was just, like you said, just random, like when Lois throws the kryptonite spear in the water and then she has to go back and get it. Yeah, yeah. And then Superman has to go and rescue that her. That entire film is based on the idea of Lois is an idiot. Yeah. Lois is an idiot and it's all her fault. Because it's like, if you look at all of the major problems in the film, they can all be traced back to, Lois, what are you doing? And yeah. it's sort of like, wow, you just ruined that character. Good for you, Zack Snyder. Yeah. And then Wonder Woman is kind of like window dressing. She, I thought she did a great job, but she's she like there for like five minutes. Yeah. And then it's just like, that was the only moment of levity. She was, you know, and that was it. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, there isn't much women in it. There's... 
like the only moment of people of color is really just Perry White and the three seconds of Cyborg. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but even even his Perry White was just like this completely out of lunch. Yeah. Just I see like, a headline. Yeah. It's just, yeah, repeatedly like, hey, where, where's that story about, uh, you know, the fundraiser yeah. and things like that? I'll be in my office smoking my pipe. It was just such a terrible, terrible movie. And it's like, it makes me go, man, you were smart to move it because Civil War is going to kick your ass. Yeah, yeah. Because even if the Russo brothers deliver just a mediocre film, mm-hmm. it's going to be a thousand times better than and, Batman v Superman. And like I said, people are already all invested into this Marvel universe, right? right? So right. Marvel's been smart and bringing people along for every movie. So they're like, all right, we're in. Yeah, so exactly. They'll do fine for the first two weeks. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Moment of silence for Batman v Superman. Yeah, God. I'm glad I was not as invested in that film. I feel bad for like fanboys who are like, this is going to be the best movie ever. Because it's like, you know, what do you got now? You know, really? Yeah. It's like, where do you go from here? It's like, I know there's talk of like a Batman solo film with Jeff Johns and Affleck writing the script. And I'm like, well, yeah, no, that, that'd be cool. But they don't got it on the slate yet. And mm. look how many films they've got planned. Yeah. So and they got like you said they got to get that Justice League out right they got to so. get the Justice League out they got to get the Shazam movie out because by the, I feel like you know waiting till 2019 the Rock's gonna be in a wheelchair by the time they get to that film <laughs> but that's that's the that's the Shazam instead of a little kid yeah. it's just like him in a wheelchair yeah. and then when he's Shazam, well because like, well, I know they said that he's gonna play Black Adam but I have a feeling now he's gonna be like Shazam the Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. And then that's it. And then he gets to, it's like yeah. Fast and Furious, right? If you smell what Shazam is cooking. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Who were some of the other impressions you did? I didn't really do The Rock. That's the first time I ever said anything like that. I actually... I five for that. It was a good one. Okay, thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you. I used to do a lot of Robert De Niro. Yeah, you know? That's, uh... <laughs> that's really are you spot on. of me? Eh? Eh? It's more of a visual thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, then the Christopher Walken. I, I used to do a little bit. Of Christopher Walken, I can't really do that well anymore. It's like it's been years since I've done it. These days, it's like my strongest impressions are like ones that nobody would ask for, like Grant Morrison. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. Okay. All right. I mean, it's gonna be big All right. All right. So I'm a big fan of looking at Superman. You know, Superman has always been my hero. You know, and uh, <laughs> that's amazing. I was thinking. Wouldn't it be great if we took, like, one of the greatest comic book creations of all time and paired it with one of the greatest comic book creators, you know? Like, if we made Ed Brubaker <laughs> the new Superman, you know? Brubaker, and, like, put him in, like, a Kryptonian night suit, you know? It's like, Brubaker night suit, the new Superman. And the way to beat him was you have to knock the fedora off his head, <laughs> you know? amazing. And so it's like, think of all, like, the wind-based villains that you could work with, you know? It'd be fantastic. Yeah, that's and spot so. on. He actually just did Wonder Woman for the uh, that Earth Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, that was a big deal. The, the Dodsons did the art on that. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to pick that up, but I've been liking that series. Oh like yeah. The Batman and the Superman. Have you read any of that stuff? Or you... uh, no, it's right now DC. I think the last thing I read was Batgirl, and but then when I heard they're doing Rebirth, I'm like, oh god, another continuity change. Okay, I'm definitely not reading anything in DC for a while. <laughs> it's hard too because that's like. It's great, like, you were talking about how there's all these crossovers now all the time. Yeah. And it's really great when a writer just stays on a book. Right. And can just build it. And just tell the story. Yeah. It's fantastic. Like, that's what, like, I enjoy over at Marvel. Like, you got Howard the Duck mm-hmm. uh, that uh, Chip Zdarsky's writing. And you got, uh, which got uh, Captain America Sam Wilson 
that Nick Spencer's doing, and he's also doing Ant-Man. Like, those are really strong books, and they don't really venture out into other stuff. Like, they're just like, here's the story. And, like, that's... that's what, And Miss Marvel, as well. G. Willow Wilson doing the, the writing on that. Adrian Alfona mm-hmm. doing the art. Adrian, I believe, is a local guy, too, actually. I think he lives in the area. Yeah. I think um, he's going to be a TCAF, too. I think I... Yeah, yeah. I think I saw his name, yeah. And so, yeah, so it's like... Uh, those books, like, right now, I feel like the best books are, like, those second-tier heroes... Or like those changes in heroes like right now Captain America, Sam Wilson, things like that. Because the creators are getting to do their story. They don't have to be interrupted every 10 minutes and things like that. It's not like writing the Avengers right now where the Avengers kind of has to tie in to, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on. Or like, actually, Iron Man's all right right now. Iron Man, uh, Bendis is writing that. Yeah, it's been about six or seven issues in for the first, because there's two books. But Yeah, yeah, the other one, International, just started, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, Mary Jane showed up to it kind of random. But... Yeah, I, I, I'm, well, I'm down with that because yeah. it's like... Like, I haven't, like, no offense to Dan Slott, but I really wish he wouldn't write Spider-Man anymore because I don't yes. care. Yes. And so it's sort of like, the, one of my favorite characters in the Spider-Man universe is Mary Jane. Yes, I do have a thing for redheads. And her being over in Iron Man is great because it's like, all right, a book I'm already picking up. One of my favorite characters has just been added. This yeah. is fantastic. I was actually shocked because Bendis was talking about it. I can't remember where I read the interview, but he was talking about how uh, he went over to the Spider-Man editorial office and he said, can I use Mary Jane? And they're like, yeah, we're not using her. Go ahead. Yeah, it's pretty much like Dan Slott kind of stepped away from her a while back. Yeah. And so I was just like, how do you just leave a major character? It's like, I know. X-Men not using Storm or something like, yeah, okay. But then, like, it's not uncommon. Like, if you think about, was it uh, Karen Page? Mm-hmm. She went, like, you know, she was, like, one of the biggest characters, side characters in Daredevil for years. And then suddenly, you know, by the time Frank Miller got on the book, she was an afterthought. And she didn't show up again until Frank Miller's second run when he decided to make her a freaking crack whore. Yeah. So, so like... And then she died of AIDS. Well, she didn't really die of AIDS. Yeah. No, she got, she got killed by Bullseye. That's right, actually. That's right. The AIDS thing was actually fake. Oh, that's right, yeah. She was tricked by Mysterio. Little nerd knowledge for you there. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to Daredevil, I know every like little yeah. facet. How are you so. enjoying this series so far, the Netflix series? Oh, it's the second season was everything I've wanted mm-hmm. in a Daredevil. I know certain people have problems with you know certain of the stereotypes and things, and I understand that. But being a fan of the original Frank Miller run, getting to see all those you know toys in the sandbox yeah. played with, and you know like cause you get the hand, you get Electra, you get the Punisher, yeah. You get a bunch of stuff. And then, like, the working back in of Wilson Fisk and all that sort of stuff. It was fantastic. I loved every second of it. It was a good move on Marvel's part to go to Netflix so they could do a little bit more violent. And yeah, yeah. Doing the more of the rated R characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And some of the cuss words and all yeah, that Yeah, that's right. Like, well, Jessica Jones was fantastic. That was a great show. And uh, I'm looking forward to Luke Cage. I'm looking forward to Iron Fist. Iron Fist would be great because I enjoyed the, I mean, we're going back to Brubaker again, yeah. right? The Brubaker run with him and Fraction. That's right. Him and Fraction and David Aha and Art. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Great stuff. But mind you, that whole run had like the mystical city and it had like a lot of, like yeah. it's not very street based. No, you know it's I mean? not. It's not. But that's the thing. If you actually look at a lot of the Iron Fist stuff, it's like there'd be one or two issues where it would be like, oh, we're, we're street level heroes. And the next issue would be like, okay, I'm fighting a dragon on a mountain. You know? Yeah. So. <laughs> but I kind of like all that. that oh, book, yeah, me too. All those elements were great. The mystical city. It's going to be the first, I have a feeling it's going to be the first Netflix uh, series that won't have the street element to it. Right. I think there'll be, 
touches on it, of course. Yeah. Because I think they will work in Luke Cage into it and do a Heroes for Hire thing, at least by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh... He had that dojo, too, for a little while, where he was helping at-risk kids. That's and... right, yeah, yeah. Well, that was the thing. From the 70s to the early 90s, every hero that lived in New York ended up helping at-risk kids at one point. Like, <laughs> yeah. Daredevil, Captain America, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. I think even the X-Men helped at-risk kids yeah. at one point. <laughs> yeah. I know. So, yeah, so it's sort of like, that was all the rage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Today, uh, there was a big announcement for Cloak and Dagger as well. Right, yeah. No, I'm actually, I'm not, like, I haven't read a lot of Cloak and Dagger. I've only read, like, you know, little bits and stuff like that. Mostly, like, guest appearances and things. Because, of course, like, Cloak and Dagger in the early 90s, like, made a guest appearance every 10 seconds in a Spider-Man comic. Yeah. They were really the only ones, like, he was the only one kind of keeping them around. Like. Pretty much, yeah. They're one of those, you know, more... They have, like, a solid cult fan base, you know, like Moon Knight does. Yeah, I'm a but, big Moon Knight. You know, but at, well, as a Moon Knight mm -hmm. fan, you know how hard it is to keep a Moon Knight book on the shelves, you yeah, know? And yeah. Cloak and Dagger's the same way. It's, like, it's very hard. to get. There's been, there's been attempts in the past few years. Like, I think even at one point, they were going to have Nick Spencer write a series. But yeah. I think it got canceled or it was only a miniseries or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, so it's very interesting. I think the key is, though, is that the reason why they went with those characters is because they wanted to do something on ABC's. It used to be ABC Family. Now, I, th I can't remember what it's called now. but uh, Freedom uh, or Freeform. Something or like that. Freeform. And it's, like, that's their kind of, like, family-based channel. Yeah, Cloak and Dagger works. You know, two teenagers who are, you know trying to find their way in the world that kind of running away exactly you can't do the x-men because fox has all the rights to the x-men and yeah. that would be kind of like your thing you'd probably do something on the family yeah channel now it's like okay well we'll do we'll do uh we'll do cloak and dagger yeah and runaways is just like a team right so right right you have to hire all these actors. Yeah, yeah, whereas Cloak and Dagger's two people. So. Yeah, we're done. That's it. What are you most excited for about what's coming out down the pipe? Because we're getting a bunch of stuff. We're getting all kinds of, like, movies. Now even, like, World of Warcraft has a film coming out. Right, yeah, no, it's crazy. Like, of course, Civil War I'm excited about. I'm interested to see what the new Turtles film is like, just because so many people I've talked to hated the first one watch the trailer for the second one, and now they're invested. So it's sort of like, okay, now me, I've never been a huge Turtles guy, so I don't have a dog in this fight, but the amount of people that hated the first one that are really excited for the second one makes me go, okay, well, maybe they've... Like, I'm watching the trailer, I'm like, yeah, it does look a little bit more interesting and more action-packed than that first movie, but we'll see. You know, like, I heard Seamus is in it, so that's not that's not a good sign in my opinion. No, they're not, so, <laughs> they're not selling it at that point. <laughs> Are you surprised? Like, you were just mentioning, like, Moon Knight and Cloak and Dagger. Like, these books don't last. And you and I kind of understand that. Like, when I, when I, the new Moon Knight just been wrapped up, and now Jeff Lemire is going to be writing in one that's going to be coming out in April. Right. You know what I mean? Well, that's Marvel's thing now. It's like, with the secondary characters, they go, okay, we're going to give a writer and artist 12 issues to tell a story. Or yeah. sometimes 16. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to end that series. Yeah. And then we're going to give them to somebody else. And they can pretty much take what they want from that previous series but then taken in a new angle right and it's like well if you look at that you know a few years back bendis and mayleave mm -hmm. uh, alex mayleave they did moon knight and yeah. they, they had him in la they had him they they were playing up more the millionaire the eccentric millionaire portion yeah and you know because he was talking to the three voices in his head which were captain america spider-man and wolverine mm. you jump ahead and you've got warren ellis who went like okay we're gonna keep it we're gonna put him in new york yeah we're gonna make him more of like a detective and we're gonna make the three personalities not people that he's talking to but three separate facets of himself yeah. and it's like okay so you're kind of taking cues from the last series but you're doing something totally different and then as we know jeff lemire who's very more jeff lemire usually always writes more of like a heartfelt character characters dealing with emotional turmoil mm -hmm. 
Usually there's not a lot of jokes in Lemire's stuff. It's no. usually very sad. People die a lot in Lemire's yeah. stuff. There's a farm that shows up randomly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's great stuff, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be totally different from yeah. where else. I think of all the books that are coming out that are going to be way different is going to be The Punisher. Because, you know, last year Nathan Edmondson did a very military-based Punisher mm -hmm. where it's like, it was down and dirty, he was fighting crime in L.A., but he was dealing with a gang that was more like terrorist cell. Yeah. And so it was very, very military. There was a lot of a lot of soldier type elements to this. Becky Cloonan is gonna be writing the new series. Now you got Steve Dillon back on art, which Steve Dillon has now kind of become the quintessential Punisher artist. Yeah. But uh, you know, because he did the Ennis run, he did the Jason Aaron run. Yeah. But like Becky Cloonan is the last person I'd ever think to write uh, the Punisher because you know. think you know she did Gotham Academy. I know. And she did Southern Cross for Image. You know, both are more strong female based. So it's like very. It's just sort of like Becky Cloonan was like, I'm gonna do something totally different and you know try a character that I've never tried before. So I'm really excited to see what she does with it because she's a great writer. Mm -hmm. But this is totally out of her wheelhouse. So I let's know. see what happens. But I bring up the the point of like just the shorter runs because I know like there's always this huge demand for diversity and stuff, but there's not always enough economics to support it because Batman will always sell out. You know what I mean? Right, right, All right. The bigger books will. But then you also look at it, Marvel and DC, um, their pieces of the pie have diminished. Like, you look back at their sales at, well, as you said, like, uh, when Iron Man came out. Yeah. So, like, two years pass, and 2010 happens, and in 2010, comic sales are going up for the big two. Marvel's doing really well, DC's doing really well. And you look at it now, and they're beginning to diminish. Like, the 2014 sales are better than the 2015 sales. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are complaining about the restarting of books. But then there's others who are saying, well, it's good because, you know, you get different creative teams. But then they're restarting books at a new number one with the exact same creative team just to have a new number one. Yeah. To try to attract more readers when really it's doing the opposite. The jumping on point thing. Yeah, the jumping on point is actually people jumping off. People yeah. going, oh, okay, well, this series is done. I don't have to pick this book up anymore. Yeah. Oh, they're coming out. They're going to do another. Ah, oh, wait yeah. to trade or something like yeah. that. And so. That's why I gave up with uh, Wade's run on Daredevil. Right, yeah. As soon as, and the sad part was is that as soon as he went to San Francisco, yeah. there was a couple okay stories but it was nothing compared to the first run right I think right now the really good stories are coming out of Image mm -hmm. Image is great I think Dark Horse is doing good stuff Valiant is yeah. doing some amazing stuff where it's like because it's like there's some people go okay yeah Image is doing cool stuff but I'm not interested in like sci-fi or horror or detective stories or you know different things like that because they kind of do Image does pretty much everything but Superheroes. They do a couple of superhero stories, but it's yeah. mostly like other genres. Uh, but, Walking Dead. Kind yeah, of. yeah. Walking Dead and freaking Lazarus and Deadly Class and mm. all these, these Southern Bastards, stuff mm. like that. So there's people who are like, well, Marvel and DC is the only place where I can get my superheroes. Valiant is doing some amazing work with their superhero stories. Like yeah. right now, the miniseries Faith written by Jody Hauser, mm -hmm. is fantastic. And I had never read Harbinger. She's a character from Harbinger. The book is just, it's its awesome because it's just about a woman who's a hero who's trying to keep the secret identity anything going, trying to fight crime in L.A. And her just big thing is she wants to be the best. She wants to be the best hero she can be. She's like the ultimate guardian of good, but she's also like a major fangirl and loves yeah. like Firefly and shit like that. So <laughs> she's basically, you know, the quote-unquote one of us sort of thing. Yeah. So it's like books like that are fantastic coming out of Valiant. And it's like that's where people should put their money in my opinion you guys i'm switching gears for a second you guys have a show coming up april that's right. 16th that's right april 16th at the at comedy bar in yeah. toronto geek hard live we did the first one back in november of last year now this one we're doing it's like a mix it's a night of nerd comedy 
basically. So we have uh, Pat Thornton, a uh, great Canadian comedian. He was on Sunnyside last year, which was a really good show. Won uh, some Canadian Screen Awards. And then got cancelled for I don't know what reason. You know, he's going to be the headliner of the show. And then we also have comic creator Chip Zdarsky. He's very funny. He's very funny. We're going to be doing an onstage interview with him. We're going to be talking about stuff. I've had the chance to interview him a couple of times, and he's always hilarious. And then Very zany. He's zany. Yes, he is zany. You know, yeah. it's like he's, he's, he's wacky. He's yeah. wild. Yeah. And then we've got um, a sketch troupe called Beggar's Canyon opening the show. And then myself and my co-host, Mr. Green, are going to be hosting the night. She's so going to see us throughout that. We're going to be giving away a Anchor Bay Entertainment Canada prize pack that includes a Halloween 35th anniversary Blu-ray and some other stuff. And, uh, yeah, no, it's going to be tons of fun. And if anybody who's listened to our podcast, it's kind of like, it's basically a live version of that. So, And that's April 16th. April 16th, 7 p.m., Comedy Bar. Admission's $10. You can get tickets at comedybar.ca. Or if you want more information, go to geekartshow.com. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be great. Are you going to be there? Are you going to come check it out? I have to put on pants, though, right? What? Here's the thing. Bring a pair of shorts yeah. with you. Come in pants. Yeah. Go to the bathroom. Change to the relaxed shorts. Yeah. Go into the auditorium. Look at you. You got a whole system worked That's out. That's right. Why? Well, I, I got to get people in the seats. That's yeah. what it goes down to. <laughs> you got a whole system. That's amazing. Yeah. We got nowhere else to go after that. We've covered, <laughs> like, your Batman hate. We've covered no pants and shorts. We've covered the, the live comedy show. Like, we've covered Geek Hard. I think we covered quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Now, Geek Hard, uh, as I said, Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern on RealityRadio101.com and then also available as a podcast at GeekHardShow.com, DorkShelf.com, and on iTunes. And then our other podcast, Back Issue Bloodbath, which is available at geekartshow.com and on iTunes, hosted with Gavin Stevens, where we talk comics. So for anybody who's like fans of all different types of nerddom, we got Geek Art. And then people are just, well, I just want to focus on comics. We got Back Issue Bloodbath. So. Yeah. And Gavin also is another very funny stand-up. Does some yeah, weird... he was the he was the headliner for our first Geek Card live show, mm-hmm. and uh, he's he's played you know all over the world. Yeah, and uh, across Canada a bunch of times. Me and him have worked on a number of projects that we hope to get off the ground, all nerd-based. Project Ham Sandwich or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Project Ham Sandwich. That's what we're calling it. Yes. Keep that under your hat. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and now I can't drink at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So thank you, Andrew, for coming by and nerding it up with me and geeking it up with me. Hey, no problem, man. This so, is a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll have to have you back. And, uh, sure, yeah. And we'll see kind of uh, where everything's at and what's happening and right, what, yeah. what kind of dirt you have. Yeah, I come back in six months and it's like everything fell apart. Yeah. Nobody came to the live show and that was the beginning of the end. Chip Zdarsky punched me in the face. No. That would be kind of entertaining, I guess. That would be entertaining, yes. That would be entertaining. Thank you.